Hello everyone and welcome to Back of the Grid. I had an intro in mind but that intro music was so loud it's blown the introduction out of my head so I'll just say hi, I'm Chris. <laughs> uh, Stu's back, hi Stu. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Good to have you with us again. Um, yeah, no Tom this nice week. To be back. We're like swapping host in and out still on a regular yeah, basis. Long old summer, eh? Lots of, lots of races, lots of things to do. Now we've yes. got the freedom to go about and do things and leave the house uh, who knows what next week's gonna look like but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it oh yeah well i yeah but let's worry about that later yeah, yeah. We'll, let's we'll not schedule later. like all of our episodes like <laughs> yes. while we're recording i think that's probably a better idea to just <laughs> talk about the grand prix rather than nothing but professional here yeah um yeah there was a grand prix the second well second dutch grand prix in the new era um I would say significantly better than the previous one as a as a starting point. Yeah. Yeah, it was there was lots of overtaking, wasn't there? Lots of lots of stuff happened. It was yeah. a very certainly an eventful one, an intense race. Um, yes, and like a, to say, so yeah. And very a very enjoyable. very unique track as well, isn't it? Like it's so you know, as much as the track's been given a lot of stick at least last year for like lack of overtaking and stuff as a as a circuit, particularly in qualifying, it's so unlike anything else on the calendar. Yeah. It looks like such fun to drive, doesn't it? Mm. Like all those it sort really of like does. undulations it's got and it's so tight, it's punishing if you make a mistake, all those kinds of things. Just proper traditional Formula One racetrack. Like it's like a mini Monaco. It's, it's just like Hungary and Monaco, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's in it's that in the same, same vein. vein of tracks. Um, which is probably why Mercedes did quite well this weekend. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll start there. We'll start with the fight for the win, which Mercedes were very much part of. Yeah. Um, well, they were they were in the fight for pole before we even get into the race. It looked. Like, yeah, actually. Um, they might have had a chance of pole if were it not for Perez conveniently spinning on the final corner <laughs> when no one else managed to spin all weekend. Tinfoil hats are out already. <laughs> Yeah, Hamilton reckoned that lap he would have been. He was he basically said he thinks he was faster everywhere except the last corner, and he reckons if he got the last corner perfectly, it might have been like very tight between him and Verstappen yeah. for pole. But obviously, the Red Bull is stupidly quick in a straight line, so that might have ended up being the difference. But um, yeah, so. Even so um, I think right the, up there. The, the stupidly thing, the stupidly quick in a straight line thing, kind of goes, I think, a long way to addressing the um, reasoning as to why Red Bull was so quick in Belgium, because yeah. that's basically in these cars that is a straight from turn one all the way through Eau Rouge, all the way along the Kemmel Straight. That's why they were so fast that that car can lean back and and reduce its downforce yeah. still. So whatever. Whatever floor change rule they've brought in, I think Red Bull have sort of found their way around it again. Yeah, I mean, it it was, like... I think it was Carlos Sainz last week said it was like they'd built the Red Bull specifically for yeah. Spa. It was so good there. Yeah, um, yeah. it is just rapid everywhere. Was it such a good car? It again yeah. looked like a hoot to drive for um, for Max yeah. as well. So um, yeah. and and obviously Mac, you got arguably one of well arguably the best driver on the grid at the moment. Um, in that car doing doing the business so yeah I yeah. can see I can see why everyone's sort of in fear of him for the remainder of the season 
<laughs> yeah. Um, definitely didn't have it all his way this weekend. Um, obviously, pace was a lot closer. Um, so then, yeah, against the race. So the both Mercedes started on the medium tyre, whereas almost everyone else started on softs. There are a few mediums further back, but at least all the front runners started on softs. Um, Signs of Perez pitted as early as lap 14 to get off the softs. Um, Signs obviously dropped out of contention at that point. We'll get to him in a little bit. Um, yeah. And then Leclerc and Verstappen weren't far behind. But obviously the Mercedes were able to stay it till like around lap 30 and go to hards, which at that point it looked like they were just planning on one stop into the end, whereas everyone else seemed to be on two stoppers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like... It was game on at that point, wasn't it? Like, it was advantage Mercedes at that point, I would say. I think so. I think it would have been very close at the end. I think Verstappen would have been coming back at them, but it would have been a much, much more difficult win for Verstappen. Well, it would have been super tight. It could could have gone either way, I think, Um, because he definitely had the pace on on that tyre to to sort of move it, to, to, to at least catch up. And then at that point, it's... You know, certainly at this circuit, even with DRS, even with everything catching up, is one thing. But you need, you still need a significant tire advantage to to get by. So, yeah, how significant that tire advantage would have been at that stage of the race is, we'll never know. We'll, we'll no. never know, unfortunately. And ex- but, um, it was shaping up really, really, really nicely for an absolute grandstand finish, which we all love when we watch Formula yeah. 1. And we were just robbed of it, sadly. We? It's a weird one, isn't it? Like, it was still a very exciting race for other reasons, but mm. there is part of me that's like, I'd love to have actually seen how that would have played out. Yeah. Um, but obviously then we had the Alpha Terry nonsense, which again, we'll get to the details of that in a bit. Um, Leclerc, probably a bit unlucky, I think. I think Leclerc, Ferrari tried to sort of preempt a safety car and brought Leclerc in straight away. And as it happened, he didn't get a VSC or a safety car. It was like a lap or two later. And Verstappen, Hamilton, Russell did put under the VSC, which dropped Leclerc back to fourth, which I think was just unlucky on his part, really, wasn't it? I can see why Ferrari brought him in when they did. That's all the opportunity and went for it. Yeah, a little bit. But I think you've got to play to the whistle as well. I think the reason why he lost out was because Ferrari kind of jumped the gun a little bit. They they went too early. Mm. I think there's there is an argument to say go straight away because you're going to get you might be halfway around the lap and you might lose that advantage by being all that way around when the when it, when it happens. But yeah, what effectively happened was they they, they pitted him too soon. So, yeah, because they just so did a normal pit stop. They just basically did a normal pit stop where everyone else didn't. So again, Ferrari strategy just massive balls up. Yeah, as I'm concerned, I think like going into qualifying, like and um, looking at the practice times and stuff like that. Even if Ferrari had been ahead of the either of the Mercedes, they just they're just not a threat in the races because you just know no. at this stage in the season, Ferrari are going to find a way of engineering <laughs> failure into their race weekend. So. Honestly, if I was like if I was working for Mercedes or if I was one of the Mercedes drivers, I would not have any worries whatsoever about that. Even at this circuit, I would have no worries about them being ahead of me on track on the grid, because you you know as long as you you, you know you're going to be able to stick with them, and you know Ferrari are going to somehow let you through. Yeah, <laughs> so, like if you're behind a Ferrari, worst case scenario is 
you'll beat them on tyre wear because the Ferrari seems to munch through its tyres. Yeah. But best case scenario, like you say, they'll just do something incredibly stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was definitely true that um, Red Bull were paying way more attention to what Mercedes were doing this weekend. Yeah. Ferrari were just kind of... They are almost also runs, weren't they? Like, yeah, Leclerc yeah. ran second for most of the race and probably... No one was talking about, like, Ferrari throughout the entire no, race. Like, not at no, all. Not a mention. Like, they were they were just... They didn't seem like a factor. They they were pretty much also runs for this race. Like, yeah, you knew they were going. And, like, there was sort of in the back of your mind this, like, lingering sort of threat from... Well, not a threat, but, like, a, a lingering knowledge that they were there and they existed on the racetrack. But they were just... They just didn't seem in contention, did they? And then, I mean, we say all that yeah. now and then it turns out Leclerc gets... So, you know, finish a second on the podium. So <laughs> they had an all right weekend despite themselves. But I think I would have expected more. You would, you'd be expecting Ferrari still to be in the fight with Red Bull. And it's almost like, it's almost like this, it could be that this technical directive has had a bigger effect on Ferrari than it has on Red Bull. Ferrari has developed the way around like it. it. And Mercedes have obviously benefited that way. And certainly Mercedes are well in the mix this weekend. So there's a few other circuits coming up that might sort of, you could see Mercedes potentially eyeing a win. I think this one was probably like the one if they were going to do it, but maybe Mm -hmm. Singapore could be, there could be a factor there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Ferrari just, yeah, not, not, not really. The interesting thing about Ferrari was the the science situation like everything that happened with science was far far more Leclerc kind of had a quiet race and just got on with yeah. it and and got lucky with the eventual actual safety car but um yeah science is a, a less pleasant story isn't it yeah I think the thing is like everybody was keeping an eye on Mercedes because they were doing something different and there was a chance they'd be able to pull it off whereas Ferrari, at least with Leclerc's car, seem to be just matching Verstappen for strategy. And how many times have we seen that play out and Verstappen's just won pretty easily? So it would never really look like anything was going to happen, unfortunately, for them. Um, right, yes, we had the VSC. Um, we ended up then with Verstappen in the lead on hards, the Mercedes second and third on mediums, and seemed to be, at the very least, matching but in in a lot of sectors actually catching Verstappen so again we kind of it was set up for a slightly different grandstand finish the other way around um, until we got the full safety car eventually yeah. took them an awful long time to it's call like the safety car yeah like there was literally nowhere for them to put that car it was like yeah bizarre um so yeah, I just don't car. get. I, I I don't get that. I don't get why it's taken the. It was it was always obviously going to be a safety car. Why not just call call a safety yeah. car straight away? Really I weird. What, I don't the, what the waiting is? It's we're almost going back to like last year's kind of situation there, where it's like, is there skullduggery going on? Why are they waiting for a safety car when it's clear that this is a safety car situation? It's so almost like it. Michael Massey was never the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but. Anyway. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, so full safety car, Verstappen pit for softs, Hamilton stayed out and took the lead, Russell was initially told to stay out as well, but he told the team he wanted softs and went in anyway. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll just go through the facts first and then we'll kind of discuss this because a lot going on there. Yeah, so yeah. 
Yeah, so we've got Hamilton lead on older mediums, Verstappen, Russell both on new softs, or scrubbed softs, but softs all the same. Um, the restart, Verstappen just breezed past Hamilton to take the lead immediately. Uh, apparently, Hamilton had accidentally put his car in the wrong engine mode, according to some outlets, which might explain how easy it was, because it just it looked like Hamilton just had an awful restart, which mm. doesn't feel like a very Lewis Hamilton thing. I don't feel like there's many times we've said Hamilton had a bad well, safety car restart. He was but... raging, though, wasn't he? He was absolutely raging already at that point. So you yeah. can see how he could have distracted himself into making that kind of mistake. Yeah, into hitting the switch. I mean, it's not the first time he's... Yeah. Uh, had the wrong switch on in recent years. Um, Russell then caught and passed Hamilton for second place a few laps later. That got a bit, bit unnecessarily spicy, didn't it? Yeah, well, I think that was just a bit of um, Hamilton moved quite late, which is absolutely within his rights to do. There's no reason why he shouldn't have to do that. Like he's, he's they're racing, so you know they are. If, but to your teammate. Uh, well, I just think it, again he's already raging. So, it, and and if that yeah. was me, I'd be like, I, I would, I'll just make. I'm not going to make it easy for them. Like, why should you, why should you make it easy for them? They're they're fully racing. They're not fighting for a championship. They're, this is all bragging rights now between those two. So, yeah, it yeah, looks I mean, a little fair bit. Enough, we're we're talking like very very expensive cars here and damage <laughs> bill for the team is in a in a budget cap era. But you know he. he <laughs> Russell's good enough to sort of like see that and back out of it if he needs to. Like it was all, it was always going to get by anyway. So there is an argument to say it was totally pointless to do what he did. But Bottas might disagree with you there. <laughs> um, yeah. So Hamilton eventually dropped behind Leclerc as well and came home in fourth place. So I guess the questions are around whether Mercedes did the right thing. Um, their Mercedes' position basically was. If they'd pitted both cars, they'd have basically guaranteed themselves second and third. By leaving Hamilton out, they were giving themselves a chance of a win. Um, that was what they argued, yeah. That was their argument. The other Which argument... I don't, I don't buy that. Yeah. No, so the other argument is that if you're going to leave Hamilton out, you leave Russell out as well. Russell acts as a bit... Russell basically does a Perez, acts as a bit of a roadblock to Verstappen lets Hamilton pull enough of a gap that Hamilton can hold on and win mm-hmm. um, but on top of all those questions was there ever really a scenario from that point where Verstappen didn't win that race like Pr- probably not but I think like if you're going to pit one of them you've probably got to pit both of them to put them on an even footing, I feel like yeah. is is there is is there ever a situation where Hamilton is winning that race by staying out and not changing tires? The answer to that is absolutely not. So if you're going to pit one, why not pit both and at least give them both a fighting chance to go on the attack on on Verstappen? It's exactly the same scenario as Abu Dhabi last year, isn't it? Like, yep. if you're in the lead and you're on older tires and the guy behind you is on fresh softs, like. It's kind of already game over before it started. Um, yeah, it's it's and, a quirk of the safety car rules, I suppose, isn't it? And there was a time is. when you when, there was a time when you couldn't change tires under a safety car, and we all hated it. And there was also yeah, a time and like, when you could change tires in a safety car. And, some and, of the guys on Sky were like asking it. drivers and team principals, like, "Oh, do we need to go back to not change under safety car?" It's like, well, no, like it's 
yes, sometimes it doesn't work out for you. Sometimes it does, but that's kind of part of the sport. Like, yeah, because there's there's an argument to say that if um you know if a safety car comes out and it's right in your pit window, then that can ruin your race also. So mm. that that was the reason we all hated it before because the number of races we saw ruined because people's tires were right in the pit window. It was time to change tires and they just couldn't. And that was in re- during the refueling time as well. So it was a chance where yeah. during the refueling days, you could not be able to pit and suddenly run out of fuel on track during the safety <laughs> car. Kind of exactly. Thing. Yeah, it been a right pickle. So that's the re i guess we're not refueling anymore so there is potentially an argument to say maybe you know the the difference now would be because we're not refueling it's less of a hindrance because mm-hmm. you're not gonna it's not gonna completely wreck your race you're just gonna be out on tires that aren't necessarily perfect but then at the same time once everyone's lined up behind each other you're guaranteeing that if you make a pit stop and no one else does then you're coming out of the back of the field and it's, again it's ruined your race so yeah yeah, um, there's there's pros and cons to both. I think what we've got now is probably the lesser of two evils. I think at least people's races aren't getting completely and utterly destroyed unless they're at the front. There's only one person at the disadvantage in this situation, and that's the person who's at the very front of the grid. Everyone yeah. else, it kind of affects them a lot less. But, but when you're a driver or a team principal or just a big fan of a particular driver, it's really easy to forget all the times that a safety car has massively advantaged you yeah. when you've just been disadvantaged. And, you know, these things end up going both ways. Yeah, yeah. Over a season and over over the years, it it balances itself out. And I've, I think they are very... Unlo- I think it is unfortunate that it's happened to the same driver twice <laughs> in, in race week in, in, with potential race wins, especially, you know, in the, the way last season ended. Obviously, this was always going to lead to all kinds of garbage fire on the internet of you know people saying the f1 mm-hmm. fixed hashtag and <laughs> fixed and all that kind of stuff i i don't really buy that like no. it's it, the, you can see where the tinfoil hat sort of vibe comes from with it but i think realistically like the the gymnastics required to orchestrate <laughs> that kind of situation are just absolutely mind-blowing like there's no way they could there's no way they could get away with organising it because they get busted. No. And it's the same with all the Alpha Terry stuff as well, which again we'll talk about. But like I said over the weekend, like in a post um, Singapore 2008 world, like the whole Crashgate thing, yeah. there is just no way an F1 team would even attempt something similar, let alone get away with it. It's just, it's just yeah. not a realistic thing anymore. Having said that, Fernando Alonso is on the grid. <laughs> <laughs> and he makes so, up the rules as he goes along sometimes. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll say on Mercedes is, yes, like the time of the safety car didn't go with them or whatever, but also you can maybe criticise them for not pitting Hamilton, not, you know, swapping yeah. Hamilton's tyres. Like, totally. Mercedes in these sort of situations generally seem to prioritize um track position over mm-hmm. tires in the past that's been the right thing to do in the last few seasons a number of times it's been proven that it's not and they seem to be struggling to get away from that mindset i think a little bit yeah there's there's that's potentially like i said i think if you're gonna pit one of them you've got to pit both of them 
I mean, mm-hmm. give yourself a fight or, or pick neither of them. But I think the correct decision in hindsight is definitely put soft, put the soft tires on both cars because you just, even if Verstappen doesn't do it, at least the two Mercedes are on fresher tires than Verstappen. So yeah. you've got a much better chance of attacking him. Um, and it, you know, it gives the audience like a way better race to watch rather than just yeah. the leader just getting breezed past by a bunch of cars. I mean, to lose out to four cars. Well, three, sorry, three cars. He finished fourth in yeah. Hamilton. Um, what was it? Verstappen, Russell, Leclerc was the end. Yeah, he was. I said, I said Leclerc had finished second earlier. That was wrong. I, I oh, meant, yeah. I didn't want to miss that. Third. Um, God, the, the comment section is going to be raging <laughs> already. Um, so, yeah, in my mind, the correct, the correct move is pit both. And I think it's symptomatic of what you've just described. Like, they, there's definitely, like, they're a bit sort of reticent they seem to they're definitely favoring track position probably more than they should be yeah um but also i feel like they in those in this situation this time it felt a bit more like mercedes froze up it felt like you know sudden all these memories of abu dhabi last year probably came rushing back to the pit (laughs) wall and they were like oh god here we go again what do we do and i think they know what happened last season when that that occurred so why not go the other way? Why not, you know, try to pull the rug from under the carpet of Red Bull in that situation and say, no, we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to pit and we're going to take it to him. Um, I, I can't gloss over the fact that you said pull the rug from under the carpet, which is an amazing mashup of phrases. Oh, yeah. What the heck? <laughs> pull, pull I, mean, the rug I know exactly under- what you meant. but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll Allow me to rephrase. <laughs> Why not try and pull the rug from under Red Bull? And, yes. Um, yeah, imagine having a rug under a carpet. That'd be a weird situation, wouldn't it? <laughs> anyway. Sorry, um, we're getting very sidetracked here. I was, what was I going to say? Yes, it also, I think, in all of this kind of says a lot for George Russell, and maybe it's because he wasn't involved in Abu Dhabi last year, but George Russell yep. had the clarity of mind in that situation to say actually no switching to soft is the right thing to do here made the call himself and that, that was a very it's very forthright sort of mature smart choice for him to be making there and obviously it paid off wonderfully for him it was nice to yeah, see him having that kind of confidence yeah and I think that's what Hamilton maybe I mean Hamilton should definitely have I think Hamilton's got a lot more sort of what's the way of describing this like he's more compliant I would say Hamilton with the team at this stage in his career than what Russell is because Russell's got a lot more to prove Mm -hmm. so it's you know that in my mind like Russell making that call and doing that is making a real point and saying I will make the tough calls I will sort of take I will show leadership in this situation and I want you to do the thing that I'm that I need you to do for me, the driver, and credit to Mercedes for listening to him and giving yeah. him the giving him the tires. That call was made so late that Hamilton really, without Mercedes like deciding to do that in advance for both drivers, there was no way Hamilton was going to be able to make that same call. I think. So no, not it in was the literally short. like as the. I think Hamilton's already gone past the pit box as this call is being yeah. made. So there's not really much you could do. And once Russell's like made that call, the pit wall, are, the pit wall are obviously communicating with the rest of the garage. Everyone's running out with the tires. I imagine they would have been running out with those tires 
as Hamilton was driving by, and that is Hamilton would have seen that and been like, "I can't believe this. They've screwed me." Yeah, which is where that radio message comes from. I think like that. I, oh, I can't believe you've done this to me. Yeah, when actually, the team didn't necessarily do that to him, did they? It was Russell that really did it to him by making the call himself. But why shouldn't Russell make that call? You know? Yeah, like, totally. And you're right. Like he, uh, Russell was literally in the pit entry as it was um, when he made the call, and the Mercedes pit box was the first one. So it was like such a short window of time for him to pull it yeah. off. Like. It, it must have like barely got the tires there in time. I mean, credits them for pulling it off, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it for yeah, us. Yeah, totally. It's a shame Russell didn't have the pace to challenge Verstappen. Really, I would. Have, what I would have really liked to have seen was. So I, I guess Russell had to get past Hamilton as well. So by that point, you know, uh, Verstappen's streaking off into the sunset. But still, it would have been. If if that Mercedes had had the you know the the amount of pace to compete with Verstappen in at the end of the race, I guess like Russell would have been way closer. So maybe you know I mean there, there could be an argument to say they didn't they weren't really sure what was going to give them a bigger advantage kind of thing. I mean hmm. it's kind of obvious that the medium tire was never going to be as quick, but like why if they if they think they're guaranteeing themselves second and third, then yeah like it's maybe a little bit of desperation to get a win i think i I think mercedes are desperate to get a win this season i do still think the right call though is pit both i think as a team Mm. they've failed i think the correct call was even if even if you're not sure you're guaranteeing yourself not to win a race by not pitting both drivers because yeah. the car behind is always going to pit. And if he doesn't pit, then you've got a tyre advantage on him, so you're going to be quicker. So yeah, it's... it's a, I think it is a failure in strategy from Mercedes in, in the heat of the moment, mm-hmm. which is, again, it was a very, very difficult call to have to make. Yeah, but extremely. They, made, they, they did make the wrong call, in my mind. Yeah, I agree. Uh, right, so just wrap up the front-running stuff then. Uh, four wins in a row for Verstappen now. First time he's ever done that. Um, interestingly, he's the only driver other than Hamilton to win four in a row since Rosberg did it end of 2015, beginning of 2016, which kind of mm. just shows the how it's basically been about two drivers ever since then. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, Verstappen's championship lead is now 109 points. I mean, it's it's all already over anyway. But it's done. It's done. What is it? Like seven races left now? Eight? Seven? Yeah, something like that. So not seven, enough. Yeah. Uh, Leclerc is back into second place in the championship now. He's tied on points with Perez. Obviously, he's got uh, another win or two. Yeah. Um, it's the first podium for Leclerc since his win in Austria, and it's only his second podium in the last ten races. We, I mean, if you want the story of where his season went wrong, there it is. You, <laughs> you don't be a championship contender and don't and not stand on the podium for that many races. No. Um, second place for Russell equals his best ever finish um, although the, his previous second place was Spa last year which many would argue barely counted but he's actually got a second place over a full race distance now <laughs> um, Russell now actually only 13 points behind Leclerc and Perez in second place Like yeah, Russell, I can see Russell finishing te- second in this championship at this stage of the season I really yeah. can and I hope he does because what a season that'll be for him if he does in his first proper season with Mercedes 
you know, he's all, he's going to beat his teammate, I think, at this point because Hamilton had so much work to do with the car development early on in the season. A lot of, a lot of, you know, that they're well on the record of saying that Hamilton was doing a lot of the legwork yeah. in terms of car development and experimentation and you know getting to the bottom of what was wrong with the car. And I think without that, Russell wouldn't have had the season that he's had, and he wouldn't have the car he's got now either to compete. So, um. It is a real team effort for that team this season, and it's showing with Russell's results. I think Russell's doing a great job. Yeah, I mean the fact that he's that close without having won a race just shows the level of consistency he's been driving at as well, which I think has been the most impressive thing with Russell this year. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Right, let's let's cover this Alpha Terry nonsense. Hmm. So yeah, this is weird, but yeah, Sonoda pitted. He came out and reported something strange at the rear of the car. He thought maybe one of his tyres wasn't fitted properly. Stopped out on track. Team turned said, the engine off. Turned it all off as well. Yeah, turned it off, started loosening his belts. Team told him, tyres are fine, data's all okay, you can carry on. So he set off again, went back to the pits, had another tyre change. Went back out, um, said something still felt weird and broken at the back and um, he said he thought it was a differential issue and i think it turns out that may well have been correct in the end it was something wrong with the diff um stopped on track again um yeah so the official team line at this point in time is that after the pit stop he reported something strange at the rear we called him in again to change the tires and immediately after we had a car failure and this is under investigation however Initially in the interview, Sonoda was saying he went back to the pits because he needed to get his seatbelts tightened again. But then he suddenly stopped saying that in interviews and the team stopped mentioning anything to do with the seatbelts. Um, but... That's just they're terrified of getting a massive fine for driving around without seatbelts. That's got nothing to do with anything else. Mm-hmm. They're just literally scared to death of getting a fine. Before we go down this sort of tinfoil hat road... Absolutely, um, it hasn't worked. I'm not. You know what? I'm not even going to give the tinfoil hat time of day for this. I think no, it's, it's not at all. We've we've already sort of mentioned it. There's, there's just no need for it. Uh, but yeah, it didn't work. Um, the FYA very much noticed. Sonoda's been given a reprimand for driving with loosened seatbelts. Um, it's his fifth reprimand of the season, which means he gets an automatic ten place penalty for the next race. Um, he, that, That's that, unfortunate. I, I very much assume the team is going to get a hefty fine as well. Um, the 10 place penalty has not been officially handed down yet, so I imagine once it is, it will come with whatever fine they give the team. Um, but, you know, good to see them policing this because, I mean, last season or the season before, we had a couple of cases of drivers driving without their belts not properly and nothing was done, so good that it's being looked at. But yeah, Oh, yeah, it was yeah. Leclerc in Spain, wasn't it? The yeah, or maybe Ocon it. somewhere as well, I think. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, like it was just the whole thing was so weird. Bizarre. It was strange. really bizarre. Yeah. I think like first of all, obviously it was I mean you can if you've seen the onboard and listened to the onboard, you can hear there's a car failure going on. It does not that car does not sound right. But no. through the through this entire sort of like sequence of events, it was we, on his way into the pits, like it sounds something sounds crunchy mm-hmm. in the gearbox of that car to me. And then on his way out again it sounds like does not sound right something is grinding in that car somewhere and you're like oh that doesn't sound good 
then he gets out um he's obviously got an issue and, and he's, he's realizing because he, he, he thinks there's a tire not being fitted properly or something he thinks he's got something wrong with the rear the me in the meantime the commentary is going on talking about his left front which is just nonsense that's just yeah, a, where they from. yeah um then obviously he stops out on track turns the engine off loosens his seat belts um still everyone's like what is going on what's going on with this alpha tauri gets it started again gets back round um and yeah like another thing that happened during this sequence of events was he so they changed the tires they did his seat belts seat belts back up and then he's on his way out of the pit and again it's sounding really really grindy as he's coming down the pit lane and he's on the radio to them saying i don't know there's something wrong with it i can i can tell you now there's something wrong with this car and um he just he, he's he's sort of in on the on the pit exit and you know he's on the inside of the white line where yeah. um where you have to come out onto the track and there's like a whole section of track where you have to stay on the you've got to stay in that lane effectively and um they say to him on the radio drive out onto the track and find a safe place to stop and i think a lot of people have been taking that as something that they said while he was actually still in the pit lane when yeah. actually he's like he's well beyond the pit he's, he's well beyond the pit exit at that point he's still in the on track pit lane section yeah. but he's not actually in the pit lane and people are trying to use that to say as evidence to say that <laughs> it's a clear sort of violation of the integrity of the sport or whatever yeah. when actually no at that point he's already out effectively on track and but also in the theoretical pit lane kind of yeah still. so what they're saying to him at that point is find a safe place don't stop there don't block the pit lane because that's bad you can't block the pit lane well wasn't so there a red flag at some stop. point last year when vettel stopped in the pit exit and they had to red flag i think it might have been qualifying their red flag because yeah if you stop there you're literally blocking the pit exit so yeah yeah you can't so, just yeah. stop there and have people there's nowhere for people to drive around you exactly so the source of that message isn't a it's not dodgy message it's saying don't stop on the exit of the pit lane because that'll cause even more problems for us instead find a safe place to stop the car on track so that because like again bearing in mind that they've created they've inadvertently at this point created an advantage for red bull which is fine that that's just racing that's what happens but if they then cause a red flag and negate that advantage, <laughs> then there's hell to pay, isn't there? So th- there is that side yeah. of it. But I'm, I don't think they would have been necessarily thinking down those down that road. They would, they're not thinking, oh, we've, we've accidentally created an advantage for Red Bull. Let's not mess it up for them now. They're thinking, we don't want to stop the race and end up in loads of trouble for it this close to the end of the race and ruin the race for everyone as well. Ruin yeah. you know, so many people's races. So... I, I don't really see a problem with like anything that went down. I think it was, there was a lot of confusion within the team about what was going on. Mm-hmm. But and, and I don't think Yuki helped by undoing his seatbelts. But at the same time, it, this is racing, man. Like things break, stuff happens, and it, it is just one of those things. Like it's not, it's not like this was premeditated or pre-planned or anything. It's just no, it's just the way it shook out. If if it was anything, it was the team just handling a situation fairly badly yeah <laughs> like yeah, yeah. that was all it really the, was the, just lots of confusion yeah struggling a bit to communicate i think as well in that team yuki's not the the his english isn't the strongest of all the drivers yeah 
So That's there's the, and and they're you know they're all speaking. That's an Italian Formula One team. Remember, <laughs> they're all speaking English as a second language to them. Yuki's a second language to him, but and yet they're all communicating in English because none of them know Japanese. None of the team probably know Japanese, and Yuki doesn't certainly doesn't know Italian. So oh, oh we might know Italian. I don't know, but it seems like they're there's definitely like a barrier in that team for communication with Yuki at the minute which they, which I know they've been working on throughout since Yuki started with AlphaTauri yeah. they've been it's something they've been working on and yeah it just it, it's an illustration of how something like that can make a relatively like minor problem a lot worse and I think yeah. also it degrades trust between the driver and the team too because mm-hmm. there's definitely like for for Yuki to be saying there's something wrong with the car and they're saying there's nothing wrong with the car, start it back up. Carry on. Yeah, like that's kind of like that's you know you've got to have faith in your driver. Your yeah. driver knows when the car's broke. He's been he yeah. drives it a lot. <laughs> yeah, they are the ones sat there trying to make the thing move. Like yeah, kind of need so. to trust them. So the whole thing, that whole thing, just became a little bit physical. I think for that reason, because the yeah. team didn't trust the driver to make the to, to, to give them the correct information for for whatever reason. Maybe they were just maybe the team's a little bit belligerent when it comes to uh, Yuki. But yeah, it did. Maybe. It, it, obviously, it's kicked off this whole stink um, in, in in the fandom of F one, where you know people are throwing all kinds of silly accusations around that it's just it doesn't do the sport any good. And it's it is purely down to bad communication and um, a lack of trust between driver and team. Yeah, or team and driver. Absolutely. Um, all right, I'm going to keep us moving. We've got a lot to cover. Uh, yeah, we should talk about poor Carlos Sainz. Um, so, I mean, say poor Carlos Sainz. I'm glad you've like summarised this in nice, neat bullet points for us to think because, like, I lost track of how much <laughs> crap went wrong for, um, for Carlos Sainz this race. Yeah, I had to go back and just like bullet point what what happened in his race. So he had a pretty poor first stint. He was dropping off the, the leaders. He pitted lap 14, which I think was a bit earlier than they really planned to. Um, and there were only three tyres waiting for him, which led to a 12-point second, uh, second pit stop while they were trying to find his third wheel. Um, what the hell? For good measure, while they were faffing around doing that, they left a wheel gun um, sticking out into the pit lane and Perez ran over it. Perez, quite lucky, I guess, not to get a puncture from that, but it did break the wheel gun and there was a shot of them like having to replace yeah, the wheel I mean, gun on the end that, of the airline. That I care less about. I think like that is, I think Red Bull are as much to blame and Perez is as much to blame for driving over it as, as what they're, they're, you know, they're not, it's not like they've left it out and it's in the way of the road. It's still within the sort of, the 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 Ferrari pit zone, if you like, it's just the yeah. habit of the drivers to plus to to go out the way they did. So you know, I guess like I don't think anyone's like particularly to blame. Yeah, they could have like had the spare wheel going in like a little bit closer, but you know, the the the, the Red Bull running over a wheel gun thing, and and I'm not going to be too critical of Ferrari for that. No. I think like it's as and- much. You can see where you're going. You can see what's ahead of you. It's up to you to avoid running over things that are in the pit lane. It's a pit lane. There's going to be stuff yeah. on the floor here and there. And literally anywhere that else. Close to another team's garage as well. Well, that's the thing. Anywhere else, even Monaco, wouldn't have been an issue. But this pit lane is so ludicrously tight. Like, there's just. Mm. Yeah, something like that's always a, a likelihood. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, signs 
returns the race after his 12.7 second stop um he was very lucky to avoid a penalty for overtaking under yellow flags when bottas retired um he sort oh, of yeah i forgot he, about that from the onboards um it looks like he went past the yellow as he was in the process of doing the overtake and he kind of was able to back out of it enough and i, I think the stewards apply common sense like at the point he saw the yellow he was already in the process of making the overtake but yeah yeah he, well he was already i think he was already a head and like a slight nose it was like neck and oh neck, yeah right as they crossed the threshold of where that yellow flag is if you imagine yeah. an imaginary line across the track where that yellow flag is i think it is i would say more likely than not that the overtakes already happened at that point which is hard yeah and, and you, you know you can't like you don't have binoculars on you can't see down the track to see the exactly, next yeah. yellow flag always so i think no i think i think that's the right decision i think it was and i think sense. yeah and i think in that situation as well you're better to just let the other guy go through than keep a position and risk being given a penalty i think under those circumstances so they're probably the right thing there yeah all round. um it, well you, there's an argument to say that it was amazing driving by science to to get that move done right in that position yeah um, yeah and know he was going to be a nose ahead it, it didn't look great <laughs> like it's not nice <laughs> to see a stricken car on the inside line yeah and I, cars overtaking each other around them but from what i've seen i think it was just he was in the he was he was overtaking and then was like oh hang on there's a yellow i should probably probably mm. back up and give this back but yeah um so we then pitted again to the safety car and picked himself up a five-second penalty for an unsafe release. Um, so this one's interesting. He, I mean, I liked that he was on the radio like, oh, no, it wasn't an unsafe release. It's like, yeah, oh, okay, news. cool. He called it fake news. Yeah, didn't he? He don't worry, everyone. Fake. Carlos said it was fine. Um, his, his argument was the release itself was okay. But again, with the incredibly tight pit lane, he had to get on the brakes because there was a member of the McLaren crew sort of close to the pit lane and it was only because he had to get on the brakes to avoid the McLaren pit crew that Alonso then had to get on the brakes for him hmm. which I, I can that sounds like a classic racing driver excuse to me that I one. can see what he's trying to argue but ultimately ultimately you have to be released from the pit lane in a safe manner and if you're being released into a position where you might have to get on the brakes to avoid some pit crew. That's probably not a safe pit release. So yeah. I think it was it was a fair penalty. Mm. Do you think maybe they need to like put a bit of an extension on that pit building just to make it a bit less tight? If you've got people ruining over wheel guns and yeah, well the paddock's already like personnel. split into two, so even fit it in the space that I've got. Like it's also like what if you what if they get another four cars on the grid? Then what? Then what do you do? How do you fit? Yeah. I wonder if they could, like... Because obviously uh, the, the pit entry takes a lot of space. I wonder if I could, like, have a bit of an Abu Dhabi pit tunnel, like, peel off just before oh, the final goodness. corner and go, like, underneath it to enter the pit lane or something. All right, Chris. All right, money tree. <clears throat> Jesus, where's the, where's the cash coming from for that? Get, Multi-million get her- pound uh, pit lane restructure. Get Herman on the phone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Signs eventually finished eighth after that penalty, so still in the points at least. But a pretty shocking day all around for him. Um, and then a quick mention of Alpine as well. Um, they had a poor qualifying, left them twelfth and thirteenth on the grid. Um, but they both did a soft to hard strategy. 
They started on the softs and pitted pretty aggressively early to hards and took them a long way. It actually works out really well for them. They managed to climb up to sixth and ninth after Sainz's penalty. Um, and obviously only one McLaren in the points again, so Alpine have extended their lead over McLaren to 24 points now. So looking like a difficult uh, mountain for McLaren to try and climb back uh, in the constructors, particularly when yeah, only especially... one of their cars seems to be scoring points. Yeah, Ricardo. Did you see the? Um, did you see what they did on the um, F1 TV pre-show thing to Ricardo? I did see that. That's like total BS to me. That like you can't. Yeah. That. What what was cool. it? The cap. What was it? The caption str- said like struggling again. McLaren was the. Was yeah. The, wrote in the, the only the thing I can ident. think of is that they had that like caption in the system for like you know, like a coming up next, here's the things we're going to talk about, and it just got put in, in the wrong box at the wrong time. That's the only legitimate excuse I can think of, but it looked bad. It looked very bad. I know how these things work, and I know <laughs> that that would have had to get past a few people for that. To, a few people have either missed that, or... Um, it was a conscious decision. Yeah, I, I think it's not cool. But uh, yeah, it's probably been missed. I think. I think whoever the designer is working on that has has done that, and they've been trying to have a bit of a laugh, or they've been just, you know, entertaining themselves. But like as a bit of a comedy placeholder, and accidentally got through or something. Yeah, that's what's happened there because you know, people. I know how these systems work, and sometimes if you're showing someone something or you just want to put some text in there, kind of thing, just to show them how it works, then yeah. And what's happened is they've probably got one for each driver, and they've been saying they've been showing someone maybe, oh, this is how this works. You type the text in, this is it, and it'll save like the last thing that was in there. Yeah. Because most of the time they don't change really, especially these ones. And I think, yeah, someone's just a massive massive cock up but the weird thing is like yeah there it is like a live tech system but and i don't know how it works for the for the f1 live show but the other templates that they have um in most companies for these kinds of systems sometimes they're pre-rendered so that would have had to have been pre-rendered if, if this is not that then it would have had to have been pre-rendered and made especially and it would have got you know again it would have been checked and yeah and and seen by people so yeah i think it just stinks like it's not cool that it that it that it that it ended out on ended up on the broadcast like, yeah it's you know this is still like a, a person <laughs> yeah yeah it's not good like how would you feel if someone wrote that about you and it's, this might sound a bit sensitive but how would you feel if 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 you found out that they were making jokes about you using the tv graphics like, yeah totally cool. like like it's not cool like me and Tom were saying last week, seeing the interviews of Ricardo, he's clearly like a bit lost and in a difficult place right now. Like that's the last thing you need. Yeah, it's not cool. Um, I guess what we're talking about him, he um, he went for the rare five-stop strategy in this Grand Prix. Oh, did he? Ooh. Uh, soft, medium, hard, soft, soft, soft was his strategy. Uh, didn't work out that well. He finished 17th. Mm. I'm still not entirely sure how he managed to do five stops. But... I don't know what was going on with that, his race. Um, it was another one where early on he seemed to sort of be doing all right in the first half of the race and then just, yeah, plummeted, unfortunately. 
Um, right, I want to keep us moving. Is there anyone okay. else in the race you want to mention before we do some awards? Um, not really. No, I think it was sad to see Bottas sort of retire. Um, Joe had a had a good start to the race as well. He was he's worth a quick mention, but um, mm-hmm. other than that, now I think we're yeah. I think I'm more interested in um, talking about other things. <laughs> Let's use driver of the day then to mention a few of the drivers. Um, I guess yeah, a couple of honorable mentions turning up in the Discord. Stroll had actually had a decent weekend. Um, finished tenth. Um, yeah, Vettel had a shocker. Yeah, he just started off well and then went backwards. Um, had a nice fight with Mick. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that's some good race. I think that you know the Vettel um, blue flag thing. Like, what was he thinking? Like, was yeah, he that using was, his mirrors. Like, that, that was, was really like, poor. Really poor. Really poor effort. Yeah. Um, but who who we got driver of the day? I think obviously Verstappen. Like they made all the right calls. They on the pit wall. You know, Verstappen drove. A very very good race is it driver of the day worthy i mean it's, it's his home race he probably got driver of the day from well he probably didn't get driver of the day actually i think it was the only one last year that he didn't get driver of the day because <laughs> all the fans were actually at the circuit um <laughs> so yeah i think it's definitely worth a mention for verstappen at the very least Russell, oh yeah it was another it. just insanely good drive from verstappen like it's it's easy to get used to dominance like this, but we are watching a very special season he's putting together, both from him and from yeah, Red Bull. It's true. Whatever you think about him, like he's killing it. Yeah. Um Russell had a great you know, Russell to make the call when he made it and and get the job done. Um mm-hmm. you know, got he got he gained places by making a a risky call. Because let's yeah. not forget, by by making that pit stop, there's always the risk that the pit stop can go wrong, and then you don't know quite how the tire is going to behave at that stage of the race. You'd hope with a very lightweight car and you know low fuel sort of almost quality setup by that point, yeah. you'd be able to get the most out of the car, uh, out of the tire. But you just don't really know because the track conditions change so much throughout a race. So um, yeah, very good call on Russell's part to to get himself into that position. I'm probably leaning Russell, if anything, for driving. I think Russell gets my vote as well. Like, what is it, P5, P6 he started, up to P2? Like, Yeah, P6, P2. Really fast, made the big strategy call himself. Um, yeah, really, really good driver, I thought. I can happily give it to him. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think, like, Hamilton as well. Like, Hamilton, without being, like, Mercedes fanboys, Hamilton did everything he could. Other than that, that you can call it a mistake during the safety car restart but at the end of the day it made no difference because he was on the wrong tyre um, yeah, he was a fantastic up to that driver point, it was an amazing drive like he was in contention for the win of that race for, mm-hmm. for from sort of as soon as he put those, as soon as they put those hard tyres on and they were quick then you're like and he had to drive that car perfectly from that point to put himself into contention for a victory and yeah he um, he was he was right there. He was right in it until until those safety cars. He was essentially scuffered by the safety car yeah. periods so or VSC and the and the actual safety car. So definitely worth a mention. I think if you're going to choose between those two, you're probably still leaning Russell. But yeah, well worth a mention for Hamilton. Yeah, agreed. Uh, what about move of the day? Ooh, um, Schumacher that, on Vettel was a good one. That was fun. That was really fun. 
Um, Norris on Alonso. Someone say in the chat. I don't. I don't remember that one. Can't say I remember that one. Was that one of the many um, turn one moves? Because the, the one that sprang to mind for me was when Hamilton went around the outside of Perez at um, into turn one. Yeah, that turn one. That one. was a pretty good one. Mm. There was one right at the very beginning of the race as well. Oh, that might have been Norris and Alonso, actually. I mean, it was yeah. Norris and Alonso because they were going around for a while together and he just got it yeah. done in a really unusual spot. So, yeah, I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go Norris and Alonso. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of similar moves around turn one, but yeah, I can go with that. I, I can follow your lead. <laughs> um, and then the final award... Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? I think late safety car for Bottas is a call there. Like it should not have yeah. taken him that long to get the safety car out. Like a hundred percent, that took way, way too long. Way too long. Um, I would say the Sonoda situation was bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was a really poor effort. I think it was a big distraction as well through right at a point in the race where the race had, was just getting really, really interesting and it was about to become, you know, quite a dramatic finish for us. That kind of like cocked the whole thing up. And yeah, I mean, no one's to blame. You know, these things happen, like cars fail, things fail, and they can that stuff can lead to very confusing situations for teams. So I do have sympathy for them, but the way it was handled and the way just the way it was covered I think as well made it far more complex and confusing than it actually was I think the the simplicity it's actually quite simple what happened the car failed and they tried to handle it as best they could Um, yeah I mean I'm not sure how other commentary teams dealt with it but it was one of those situations where and again I don't want to like bash Crofty more than is necessary but that was definitely (laughs) one of the situations where he just just went renegade yeah, see something just start shouting and making things up, and it's yeah. like, you're just confusing the situation. Nobody knows what's happening anymore. Yeah, exactly. It was badly. So, like that, and that again, like you can't really, that's no one. When I say Sonoda situation, I really mean like across the board. That was just like really yeah. was poor broadcasting, poorly handled by the team probably not very well handled by the driver either. I don't know what he's doing, taking his seatbelts off. Why not tell him, like, because he, he even said on the radio, like, oh, am I stopping? And then they didn't answer him, and then he's he's just taking it upon himself yeah. to take his seatbelts off. So, again, making it far more confusing than it needs to. Um, and then my other one was Ferrari again. Ferrari just... Only appalling. taking three wheels out for a pit stop. <laughs> yeah, like, what? how does that happen? Like, did, was one of the guys in the bathroom? Like, <laughs> honestly, like, at this point, I, that wouldn't surprise me with Ferrari. Like simple checks. Has everyone been to the toilet before the race? <laughs> no one drink too much from this point on. Let's all just sit and watch the race. No one, no one, the pit crew goes to the toilet from the start of the race to the end. Okay, it's, it's a couple of hours. I know it might be hard for some of you to hold it in, but we really need everyone to be really focused, ready to do a pit stop. Really, at literally any point in the race, because anything can happen at any time. So let's just all go for a quick pee break before. And then if, if 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 a car does need to come into the pits, we've got everyone there with all the tyres ready to do the actual pit stop at the right time that we need them to. And no one's just sat in the bathroom wondering what's going on outside. 
So um, okay, great, great chat, team. Great chat. Little like side insight. Um, Stu used to be a ski rep, and what you heard there was Stu going into full <laughs> ski that, rep, laying down the law, like, giving people clear yeah, instructions. That is mode. that is on the way back from France on an eighteen-hour drive <laughs> at a very quick toilet stop, trying to get them all through really fast. That's what that is. Anyway, <laughs> you literally went but just yeah, into like, that persona. But you're right. You're totally right. Honestly, like, I genuinely, I think something's happened where, like, one of the pit crew is not around to do the pit stop. That's what it looks like to me. From the outside, that's what it looks like. I mean, how else do you explain that? Like, how is it that all, how is it that three of the tyres come out, but the last one is not out? What happens there? Like, and also, like, if you are going to let them go for a piss break then why don't you have someone there ready to take their place just in case one of the one of the one of the crew does need the toilet and you can have an extra person there you know just in case someone does need the toilet we've brought this extra guy in to just stand in and be ready with the spare wheel he's on he's on toilet duty this guy this is luca he's on toilet duty <laughs> this race and he's going to be the guy who comes out with the extra tire if one of you goes to the, but only one of you can go to the toilet at a time because we've only got and you have to tell guy. us and you have to tell us yeah yeah so that, Does we, it, that they need to have like um like seen like some like service stations and bars and stuff there's like the keys on a massive key ring so only one person can have the toilet key with them at any one time <laughs> literally <laughs> what are we talking about um oh dear i guess a, a wtf by extension is that um um, Matib Nato has admitted that there is something wrong we need to address. It's like, oh, it's finally, fi- it's round 15, mate. Like, a <laughs> little bit late for that. Oh my god, I'm scratching my head. Like, um, how Luke, uh, oh yeah, Luca Vinata. I used the word Luca, and it's like, <laughs> um, I'm not, I wasn't saying like Luca Vinato was going to be. No, you're thinking of Luca. Badoa. Luca de Montezemolo. No. <laughs> Luca Actually, de Montezemolo. Yeah, so many Lucas. Lots of, it's, a, it's a popular name in Italy. The revolving um, door of Ferrari personnel. <laughs> yeah, just be better. Um, be better, Ferrari, please. The other WTF, I don't know if you heard this, when, like, Crofty and Ted had, like, a weird little spot <gasps> on live TV. Oh, Did my God, it was that? amazing. Yeah, it was so FP3? awkward. Was it FP3 or yeah, FP2? Yeah, I think it might it have been. FP... It was one of the practice sessions. It was amazing. Like, because they were going to go to ad break and then decided, not, the producer must have decided, oh no, we won't go to ad break because there's a, there isn't our car on track. But there wasn't actually much going on. And it was a bit of a, they were already in a, like a bit of a, the broadcast had kind of like reached a bit of a dead end kind of thing. Like they weren't really talking about anything particularly interesting. Ted had something interesting to say, but he I think he'd already been told, it sounded like he'd already been told that yeah. he, they were going to go to an ad break. So it was like, okay, well, go to the ad break when nothing's happening. And then once stuff's happening again, we can just carry on. And it looked like that decision had been made and then Crofty almost like decided, no, actually, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to carry on talking about it. And it was just really, they got into a disagreement about it and it was just super, super strange. Oh, it, it was so awkward. You can tell like there's... There's issues, man. There's issues between oh, those yeah. two. Like, they're, they they're not fans of each, like other. each other. Yeah, yeah. Like, depending on what you read, I think that that Sky team in general is um, a little fractured, fractured. in places. <laughs> yeah. 
do you know what i think i think i'm actually going to nominate that just to like we don't do many off track ones so i'm gonna i'm going for that okay that that's fun that's kind of fun Right. But also, um, five pit stops for Ricardo is kind of WTF, but we'll, we'll gloss over bonkers. that. bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Uh, right, quick visit to um, predictions. Um, did you put predictions in at the end this week, Stu? No, no. You missed didn't them, bother. didn't you? Didn't bother this week. Too busy but, being um, on if I, if To be honest, if I had put them in, I don't think I would have scored any points. So, <laughs> would have been fine. Because I would have gone 16 finishes, because it's my go-to. Yeah. Albon, I probably would have had around... 14th, 15th. Um, Sonoda, I don't know if I would have had him as the first DNF. Verstappen, potentially would have had Verstappen at the win at his own race, but... Yeah. I th- oh. I think if... I reckon if you'd have been here last week when we were making the predictions, one of us would have goaded someone into going for a Mercedes for the win. Yeah. But the fact that it was only two of us, we kind of just went with it, but... I a- had I had a bet on Hamilton... I had a tenner on Hamilton from Friday practice and I would have got 90 quid back. So I was so particularly, close. I was particularly cheap peeved with so the way close. this race panned out, regardless of my stance <laughs> on who my favourite Formula One and right driver is. Um, <laughs> yeah, very disappointed. Um, in terms of the points we did score, uh, Tom picked up a point for Verstappen winning. I got Verstappen winning and 18 finishes against all odds. I'm surprised I went as high as 18, to be honest, but I guess I did. Um, congrats though this week to Charlotte Taylor who's picked up maximum 5 out of 5 points <gasps> congratulations oh my to goodness. Charlotte the only one that did wow. it this week um, and when, the when only you one that's look... done it all season we've not had any yet have we this season uh, no, we've had a couple I think we've had we? another okay. one or two I think yeah but not many um, it was a high scoring week a further 21 people got 4 points so lots of big scores this week um, so congrats to all of you um, Jaina Berger is top of the overall standings on 25 points um, but John Murphy is only half a point behind and then Jim Bob Blair is another Jim half Bob point Blair. behind so very name. close uh, as for us um, Tom's on 20 points I've closed the gaps ever so slightly on 14 and Stu has been busy uh, mostly going to weddings actually so you're on I five and a half have, points I've been to like four weddings this summer <laughs> And they've all Weddings. been on Grand Prix weekends as well. And yep. they've all been like long It's inconsiderate weddings. really, isn't it? When you think about it. To just... It is, but I've got a wedding of my own coming up, so I can't really... Read. Read. Drop that in there. In there. Yeah, Congratulations. Just, just quietly, again. quietly got that one in there. <laughs> um, grid Rival. Yes, quick mention to Grid Rival, um, who of course sponsor all of the predictions and... Um, fantasy league stuff that we do uh biggest score this week mr x with a pretty impressive 1003 points um special mentions to uh, as well to cat forbes who managed to increase her team by 4.9 million dollars which i could very much do with on my team because i have been struggling in recent weeks uh green lantern corp stays top of the table uh, mr x and id to Praz still second and third um so no change of order but it's still very tight up there uh, as always, if you want to get involved in any of that, just go to backthegrid.com um, where you can see the predictions and fantasy sections there and all the links uh, to all the good stuff. Um, right, we've got to do a quick bit of news before we move on to Monza. Um, and it's pretty big news. After all of the weeks and months of driver craziness, 
we finally had the contract recognition board rule that McLaren and only McLaren have a valid contract for Oscar Piastri and he's now been officially announced as their driver for next year. Um, some really interesting stuff that came out of all this though. Um, I, mean, I mean, I guess before we get into this, we should just start with, above all of it, Oscar Piastri being on the grid next year is very, very good news. Like, Yeah, really for, good news. And actually, like, I was, I've been very critical of him for, throughout this whole sort of process of what's happening. I've, I've, been, I've been quite sort of not very understanding of his situation and now all the facts are, are there in place i actually yes. have a lot more sympathy for him and i can understand this a lot more so let's um yeah i'm very very excited to see him on the grid and also the balls on the guy to be going up against norris at mclaren at yeah Beach. so yeah um yeah i mean so for those who don't know he's he's one of the few drivers that have done f3 and f2 titles in back-to-back seasons both as rookies um which i think I believe Russell did that and Leclerc did that, but there's not, I don't think there's anyone else on the current grid that managed to do that. So he's he's good. He's the real deal. Um, but yeah, so some interesting stuff that came out of this. Um, the ruling revealed that Piastri signed his McLaren contract on the 4th of July. It's quite a long time ago now, uh, which was the day after the British Grand Prix. Um, Zach Brown was quoted as saying that their plan was still for Ricardo to remain with the team seven days after that. And Ricardo released a statement saying he was committed to McLaren um, a couple of days later. However, it is generally believed that the contract he signed at McLaren was kind of a flexible one. And if they did choose to keep Ricardo, he would be there as a reserve driver. So it's not like they were completely pulling the wool over Ricardo's eyes, but Ricardo did say he had no idea Piastri had a contract. So. A little bit of shenanigans going on there, but maybe not quite as bad. Yeah, it's the drive market's always brutal. Like, yeah, at the end of the day, like this has happened as long as F one has been around. There has been sort of you know skullduggery shenanigans, things going on behind the scenes that people don't always necessarily. Even most of the people inside of Formula One often don't know what the hell's going on with driver contracts. So. It's it's it is the most brutal probably aspect of the sport above all else above all the development above all the competition, those the battle among the people driving it for the seats has to be the most sort of cutthroat aspect of the entire sport, right? Yeah, no, like there's there's twenty seats like yeah, I, I wouldn't even begin to hazard guess how many. Them. Yeah, exactly. Like when the music stops, there's always going to be people left without a seat. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Um, as you mentioned, there's like a lot of criticism of Piastri and his management uh, from us um, over the last few weeks. Admittedly, yeah. Uh, Alpine themselves sort of were questioning his loyalty and integrity through the whole thing. Um, but now more information's coming out. Actually, as you kind of suggested, in many ways, like Piastri and his management were kind of just stuck in a position where they didn't have much choice um yeah. so so with the i think to be fair i think with the information that we did have we were probably sort of about right i think given what we yeah. what, what everyone thought they knew because from the outside it looks like piastri's kind of like done this random tweet and no one really understood why like why are you turning a formula one drive down dude yeah that kind of thing but obviously he already knew very well what he had in place and he was very confident that he already had a drive and also like the way it was handled from the Alpine side was kind of not great 
So shall we get into... Not great, is putting it mildly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so it, it, Piastri's management basically say that they have been very open with Alpine and have told them multiple times that this was what their plans were, that, that they'd been talking to McLaren and had uh, contracts in place. Um, so it seems like Alpine making that announcement was kind of more of a putting a legal move in and stamping something. And that's why Piastri then had to sort of tweet the denial because they were sort of backed into a corner almost. Um, Piastri has also said that that announcement by Alpine was made while he was doing a simulator session at the factory. So he suddenly had lots of people at the factory congratulating him on the drive that he knew he wasn't going to be taken because he'd already got a contract elsewhere. So he had to kind of awkwardly put a brave face on and be like, oh yeah, thanks guys. And then shuffle up to Otmar's office to be like, what the heck's going what on here? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Total, they've um, also well, it was, it was said... literally Otmar, Otmar made the announcement while he was in the sim. He was stood next to the yeah. sim with Oscar driving the sim car. And um, there were other people around in the in the in the building as part of the session, and he did it in front of like a, a bunch of people. Like it's definitely yeah. a flex. Like that's like yeah, they're trying to like, you know, emotionally bribe him into taking yeah. the drive almost. Like it's kind of gross. Yeah. Um, oh, that's what it, at least that's what it sounds like from the. Outside. It's what it sounds like. Yeah. Again, this made is to sound, it's been made to sound like it's all very he said she said, but this is what has been said. Um, Piastri's team also said that um, at the beginning of this year, um, by the first race in Bahrain, they still hadn't actually got a contract together for Piastri being their reserve driver this year. And that basically Mark Webber has spent the last 12 to 18 months just constantly chasing them for contracts. Um, Alpine apparently believed that a term sheet from last November was legally binding, but Piastri hasn't actually signed anything regarding 2023 since, which is obviously why why the CRB ruled in McLaren's favour. So, (laughs) yeah, contracts need signatures to be valid. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? I don't know if you're aware of that, but like until someone actually signs a contract then the contract isn't necessarily legally binding, just just so you know. But, like, Alpine come out of this looking really poor. Like, Yeah, they do. They the mismanagement nice. of this whole situation and the Alonso situation. Like, mm. Also, I should point out, I don't think Otmar is the kind of guy who would emotionally blackmail someone like that. Like, I, I think he thought that this was absolutely watertight and, it was, and he was probably thought he was doing, like, a really good thing for mm-hmm. it. And he, I, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would like screw someone like that or, or like try and embarrass them in front of people or anything like that. He seems like an amazing dude. So I don't think Otmar had all the information that he should have had when he he made that announcement during that sim run for Piastri. Yeah. I mean, my... I feel like, I feel like the upper management at Alpine are, are what have balls up. For sure. Him. My gut feeling is that Laurent Rossi, who's the CEO at Alpine and Renault now, is putting Otmar into these very difficult situations for him to try to to navigate. Um, yeah, but it's poor. It's really poor from Alpine. And like, how have their lawyers got it this wrong as well? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, what did they just like forget that he hadn't signed the contract? Like, I saw I saw an estimate that this whole legal thing has cost Alpine a. About oh, half a million dollars in yeah. legal fees and um, 
<clears throat> the various you know fees to Piastri to McLaren and everything, all the lawyer yeah. fees and stuff. Not helpful in an age where we have cost cap. Although the driver stuff doesn't actually come into the cost no, it cap. doesn't. It's actually. all car development, isn't it? But still, like, yeah, you don't want to be wasting half a million on these kinds of messy situations, no. do you? I-, I had to really choose my words carefully. Yeah, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of that this week. <laughs> um, so this all obviously opens up an Alpine seat now. Um, it seems like alpine now have a kind of uh, agreement in principle in place with gasly and with red bull um yeah. for gasly to be released from his red bull contract to move to alpine but both christian horner and helmut marco have basically said it is all dependent on them being able to secure Colton Herter for the mm-hmm. Alpha Terry seat, who again they apparently have a provisional agreement with Colton Herter. Problem is, hasn't got a super license, and there's no way he can get one before the end of the year. He's got 32 points at the mm. moment, and they say there that is... about Verstappen. Well, I mean, the thing is, they brought in the changes to the super license to stop. St- 17 year old Verstappen's making to F1 again um, yeah. so I mean I don't believe for a second that they are not looking at any drivers other than Colton Herter for that seat that's just them trying to push the FIA to make a decision but they've said they need a decision from the FIA soon Stefan Domenicali seems to be towing the line that the super license system is there we have to follow it yeah, the rules are the rules, man. Like, don't, you can't you can't just decide that you don't like the super license rules and therefore you're going to circumvent them to get the driver you want. You, you, the whole point of the super license system is to stop people who don't have enough experience getting in Formula One cars. The the problem is, I agree with all of that, but the problem is when they came up with the super license system, the FIA very much weighted it in favour of their own feeder series because they want drivers coming up through their own series to F2 and F3. So mm-hmm. the likes of IndyCar World Endurance Championship, which are other top-tier yeah, world FIA, motorsports, yeah, yeah. don't give nearly as many points as they probably should. So, um, yeah, like Sarah in the chat said, the IndyCar gets like F4 levels of super license points, which is clearly stupid. So... There is an argument for it to be changed, but also to be bending those rules for a specific driver is... I, You know, I think if this was like, if it was McLaren or if it was um, Ferrari or if it was, I don't know, if it was Aston Martin, I wouldn't mind. But it's the fact that Red Bull just seem to do this all the time. They seem to not like the rules around what driver they can have. So they try to, <laughs> they, they're continuously lobbying the FIA to get their way and they, they seem to do it so much they, they do it so publicly compared to, uh, probably all the other teams are at this kind of stuff as well but yeah. there's so much less public about it like it stinks that a team can just go you know what we don't like this rule we've got this guy we want him to have more super license points can you just you know can you just do a little do a little, little jiggery pokery and we can get our guy in is that okay like no I, yeah. I, I, it's not cool like the, the but, rules are there for a reason yeah thing is Red Bull know that by making it public they the whole thing gets more attention and they probably get stuff done a bit quicker, which is what they're trying yeah. to do, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Red Bull are pushing for a decision soon, so I guess we'll find out. Um, at this point, I don't believe 
Gasly is going to stay at AlphaTauri. Like, it's not like Red Bull don't have about 150 other drivers in junior series that could move up if they really needed to. They're not short of drivers at Red Bull, so... Yeah, if driver if if Gasly was going back to the you know back to the Red Bull seat, he'd be there now. Like, there's no way that a higher yeah Gasly, Gasly yeah, has to move on. Yeah, yeah, he 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 is wasting his time with AlphaTauri. Like, he needs to become a more of a journeyman. I think through mm-hmm. F1, I think if he's gonna win titles, and you know, put Gasly in the right car, I think there's a world title in him. But like. If he goes to Alpine, Alpine are going in the right direction. For all the criticism we've just given them, from a sporting point of view, that is a team going in the right direction over the last few years. So it's a good place for him to go. You know, French driver, mm. French team, manufacturer backing. There's worse places yeah. to be for sure. It'd be a nice, like it'd be a nice sort of stop on the Gasly story. I feel like Gasly's not being mm-hmm. given anything like enough of a chance. With, with Red Bull I think he should have been yeah. there he, he should, they should never have taken that drive away from him I mean they, they kind of screwed themselves by taking that drive away from him anyway because it meant that they had they basically rinsed their entire young driver lineup didn't they yeah at that point can you remember like they were, just didn't have enough drivers to come yeah. through everyone was too young at that point they just really really absolutely sort of uh, what was it? they just they just emptied their barrel of, of young drivers <laughs> Again, picking my words very carefully. Um, so, again, and this is why I don't really have much time for Red Bull deciding that they want to change, they want to lobby, like, but deciding that the rules aren't, aren't don't work for them, so they want them changed. And I think this is like a bigger issue actually in, inside of F one. Too often, teams don't like rules and then try to get them changed. And it's like, no, you, this is the rules of the sport that you decided to take part in. It is. You have to play to the rules. Play to the but rules. it's also always been like that. I think yeah, we just hear also, more about it these it days. Right, Chris. Just it doesn't. It's always been that way. It doesn't. I mean, this is again. That's another issue in Formula One. Like, there's too much of this attitude of it's always been like that. Just because it's always been like that doesn't make it right. Like, it has to be. You need a. You need a a, a, um, a rule-making body and a, a rule-enforcing body with a spine to run <laughs> a legitimate sport. And I think there are times, especially recently, there's been times when Formula 1 just has lacked that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, well, we'll see. We'll see how this Sorry, goes. Sorry, I like, no. you a little bit there. <laughs> uh, I imagine we'll find out quite soon because, you know, like, there are still seats that need filling. So, yeah. We'll yep. see the next few weeks bring. Right, let's move on to Monza. Storylines. I think the first one is like the competitive order. Like, I mean, that's the, that's the question on everyone's lips. We've seen mm. just such wild, wild swings in this last few races um, from Mercedes being the fastest to Red Bull kind of being the fastest or Red Bull... Well, no, from Mercedes being the fastest in Hungary to Red Bull being by a country mile the fastest in, uh, in Belgium to then... Mercedes and Red Bull being probably equally as fast on different strategies and Ferrari suddenly not necessarily being in the mix like for Ferrari's home race like is this now going to turn in Ferrari's favour you know is it going to be worth those extra attempts to the drivers to have that crowd behind them the whole time I say with a smile on my face (laughs) Um, yeah it's going to be interesting to see how like this circuit as well this is a really high speed circuit I think 
my gut says probably a Red Bull circuit mm-hmm. this year, just because they've got a very slippery car uh, in, aerodynamically, and um, they've got a very very good engine. Like that new engine in Verstappen's car, they're probably going to break it out again as well here. And um, yeah, yeah, I would say Verstappen's probably going to have a good shout. Um, so that's that's probably like the biggest question for everyone, isn't it? Who who of the top three are we going to continue to see like a really competitive order, or is it just going to go really really far in one team's favour? Um, I I know everyone would rather see a freeway fight, and I think this weekend just gone, we did get that super strong three way fight, and I kind of just want that to continue for the rest of the season. Now I think like that it's in like a really good place, the competitive order. So it'd be good to go into each qualifying session from now on and not necessarily know who is going to be on pole. Yeah. And we <laughs> sort of seem to be... It feels like it's going that way. Like, as much as the Stappen ultimately has been grabbing a lot of the poles, like, it's... Qualifying's been so close the last few races. Hmm. There are like there are some corners at this circuit that should like play to teams like Mercedes and Ferrari's favor. Like the two um, the two Lesmos are definitely Mercedes territory. Mm-hmm. Then the Ascari chicane is Mercedes as well. You've got that really slow corner, slow corner turn one and two, um, and which is anyone's game really because it's Ferrari so slow. have been a lot of the time this season pretty good on traction out of low speed corners as well. So. Mm. You know, first sector see, might be, be a Ferrari one. Yeah, second sector could be Mercedes and final sector. Third sector, sector Red Bull. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that's what you want, right? That yeah. You want like three different philosophies to to be equally competitive. And Absolutely. Think, and I think that's what makes Monza such a unique track because you do have like a kind of like, you know, turns one and two are where you're making a whole bunch of time. Um, at Monza like you get that braking right and you get your traction right out of that corner very very difficult corner um, once you get through there then it's just a it's a blast to the second chicane really again that second chicane Ferrari territory then the Lesmos probably Mercedes so yeah it's it's, it's an exciting one this one I think I always enjoy Monza yeah um, it's always a good time Monza's always a hectic race um, it's a shame we're going to both miss it <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I can live with that. Yeah. Um, what other storylines do we have? I think the midfield battle is getting quite interesting. Like, there's a lot of swing going on throughout the sort of the midfield too, and it's never you never really know quite who's going to be where. Alpine and um, McLaren have been like kind of an interesting watch this year. Um, the struggle McLaren have got is obviously. They, they, they've only got one really driver in the mix in this car yeah um last year obviously mclaren had an amazing race in monza and got a one two did was it a one two it was a one it two. Was, yeah crazy to think that yeah. now isn't it if you look back at last season how on did, pace did that well. result come from yeah just purely on pace so like it's easy to say oh hamilton and verstappen were both out but i don't think they were losing that race regardless mm. so yeah um interesting to see what mclaren can do here um, will Alpine be in the mix? Can Alonso have an impact? Um, yeah, a whole bunch of different stuff there within all that for you to extrapolate whatever storylines you like from. <laughs> <laughs> all right, should we do some predictions? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to make you go first because you haven't been around for the last one or two, so 
you can start us off this week. Who is your fastest in Q3? Well, having just sort of been through that entire breakdown, it is <laughs> very difficult to choose, I think. Um, Verstappen is kind of the easy easy choice, just based on form, but... And also, we don't know at this point if anyone's gonna, anyone else is going to have any penalties or anything like that. You know Max is not going to have a penalty because he's yeah. um, he's just taken a new engine. So I think I've seen talk of Sainz potentially taking an engine penalty this weekend, but not confirmed. That would be yet. a shame. That would be a shame for a Ferrari to take an engine penalty this weekend. I, uh, they must have backed themselves into a right corner if that's happening at their home race, which, again wouldn't be a surprise then again it's a it's a good circuit to take it at like it's a place you can overtake you can overtake it, yeah especially if you've got good power so i think if science is taking a new engine then i could see signs i'm gonna go science polling if he's got a new engine with an extra few horsepowers interesting okay um I mean, last week when we did this, I said I'm getting on the Ferrari train for potentially the last time, and it didn't work for me last time, so I'm just going to save a staff. <laughs> Waving goodbye to the Ferrari train. Yeah. The, the Ferrari the... train is leaving the platform, and you are still there on the platform yep. waving it goodbye. Um, and I'm going to be really boring. I'm going to save a staff and win as well, to be honest. Well, Ferrari, even if they do get pole, it's impossible for them to win a race because they just cannot run a Formula 1 team they apparently weekend. are also planning a special livery and race suit this weekend oh, so they're no. definitely well, not going to win yeah what are they thinking <laughs> why why even do that as well like why throw that extra like confusion and, and pain know, into right? the mix like why put that pressure on the team to do a whole new paint job on the car when you're having such a abysmal season like this that, that, that car is it's the nicest looking car and it, it's probably the fastest car, but they're just not using it well enough to to get the most out of it. So why add these extra confusing points into the mix? It's ridiculous. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm definitely not giving them the win. Um, <laughs> it's going to have to be. It's not going to be Perez because Perez is way off the pace now. Um, so you're looking at. I mean, it's tempting to go Mercedes, but I think the, realistically, it is probably Verstappen. It's hard to look past him, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, first DNF. Who you got? Uh, that's a tricky one. Who was the first DNF last year? Uh, Gasly last year. Gasly. Gasly's distracted at the moment, um, because he's trying to true. get himself a new drive in an Alpine. But he's also probably wanting to keep his nose clean and not crash cars either. So I don't think <laughs> he's going to be. I think he'd be probably a little bit vulnerable, but I can't see him crashing. Um. Sonoda has probably got a hot head after what happened last time. Um, and then you've got your Mick Schumacher's, your, your uh, Magnussen's. Tenth. Mick Schumacher's kept his nose clean actually quite a lot yeah. since, he's, since he's sort of got his act together, so I don't think he's going to be crashing. Maybe I could see a Leclerc like, losing his Ooh. temper. At his home race, Big and there being issues, and he's had some like he has had like some shaky moments at Monza before. So I'm gonna go Leclerc. Big call. Uh, I'm gonna also yeah. go for one that I hope I'm wrong on and say Ricardo. 
He's, he's obviously a tricky place. He's going back to the last race he won. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, number of finishers. It's my turn, isn't it? Uh, last mm-hmm. year we had 19. Gasly was the only 19. one. Actually, no, sorry. I'm looking at bloody sprint race, aren't I? Ugh. Sonoda was the first retirement last year. I got the wrong Alpha Tauri. And it was only 15 finishers. Of course it was because we lost Hamilton and Verstappen. Oh, yeah, Hamilton and Verstappen, the ridiculous crash. Um, Worth noting that it's not a sprint this season. Um, And we had 18 finishers last race? Yes, we did. Uh, Sonoda and Bottas were the only I'm going to go with 16. I'll go 17 then. (laughs) And then that means we need a random driver. And that random driver is... Ooh, Sebastian Vettel. um, What's Vettel been up to in recent races? Let's have a quick little look at his... um, Yeah, unfortunately. 14th uh, in the Netherlands, 8th in Belgium, 10th in Hungary, 11th in France. So he's been like a bit of flirting around the bottom end of the points. But then he had a shocker in Austria. I think he's around... I'm going to go 14th. I don't have a ton of faith in the Aston Martin at this circuit. I'm going to go... I've got 16 finishers. I'll go... I'll go 13th. No, I'm actually going to agree with you. 14th feels right. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Okay, wow. That's controversial Chris. I think that's, I think that's the done thing in this on this podcast like agreeing with each other on know, predictions. Right. Uh, that's what we think we're probably wrong so if you think you can do better at us you can go to backofthegrid.com where you can uh, sign up for free to enter the predictions league um, you have until the beginning of Q1 to make your predictions so you can watch practice first and see just how wrong we're going to be before we even know it um, and of course you can also there go to the fantasy section of the website and uh, find the links to GridRival and join us there as well um, so that just leaves us with is uh, keep me saying now stay, stay on that was like a little bit louder this week and I got like way more of the laugh at the end of it um, I'll do the first one. Uh, McCheco asks Colton Herter, "What should we expect if he takes Gasly C at Avatari next year? Would this be a move based on merit or dollar?" Um, I mean, it's not a money move in terms of him bringing money in. I don't think, personally. I no, I don't think it's a money move. However, and I don't think Avatari need the money either. But running an American driver on the grid is going to be worth an awful lot of money to them. Um, But, like, he's good. He's not... There are, from from what I'm aware of, and I'm hoping there'll be someone in the chat who watches IndyCar more than me to kind of help us along with this, but I wouldn't say he's, like, up there with the absolute best in IndyCar. Um, He's done what once uh, four full seasons now um how old is he he's like early 20s i think 22 okay done okay. four full seasons in indycar um seventh third fifth and he's currently 10th in this season 
Um, mm. I'm trying to think of like an, an equivalent F1 driver to send the other way kind of thing. He's sort of like a... Who's your like Magnussen level maybe? Do you feel like? Or is not... he better than that? He's maybe like in an Ocon Gasly kind of territory, maybe okay. like fast, bit rough around the edges, picked up wins. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely got a lot of talent, and I think it'll be fascinating to see how that does transfer. It's quite unusual to see um, the pathway from IndyCar to Formula One, isn't it? I... Normally, it's the other way don't remember the last time it happened honestly that'll be a, f- a thing to look up between now and him maybe being announced yeah and i think like that's probably the most interesting part of this whole thing like especially going into a team like alfatari who are like a distinctly midfield team like what can he do can he beat his teammate my gut says that he probably won't beat beat um beat sonoda i think sonoda having a bit of experience I think he's going to struggle to beat him going from IndyCar to F1. I think it's going to be a nice interest. It's going to be an interesting illustration of like what the gap is between F1 and IndyCar because it's if going he to be comes a baptism from, of fire for sure. Yeah, if he comes from a few seasons at IndyCar and then he doesn't beat Sonoda, then because Sonoda's not, you know, let's it's not exactly the class of the field, is he? Um, if he doesn't beat him, then that kind of like proves the point that maybe the pathway is more the other way and not pathway mm-hmm. from IndyCar to F1. But then you're basing it on just one driver. So, yeah. But there's, you know, I think there's a reason why very successful drivers in IndyCar don't tend to move across to F1. I think it's because it's a lot more difficult to be that successful in Formula 1 than it is in IndyCar. Yeah, and IndyCar is also a series where the cars are a lot... It's not a full-spec series, but the cars are a lot closer together even, yeah yeah so it's easier to kind of shine in a series like yeah. indycar um i mean so we know her to did a test for mclaren at portimao a little while ago um and the kind of unofficial word from that is that they were very impressed with him um yeah it'll, it'll be it'll be fascinating if it does happen to see how it plays out yeah i want it to happen like yeah, I at really this do. point like now, now we know like the sort of layout of that sector of the drive market then i'd be very 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 happy for it to happen it's a really interesting experiment to see unfold i think and if i think you want to call it that like yeah and i think if he can have some success and enjoy it and go back and say that to drivers in in the states that's only going to be good for f1 as well like f1 has yeah. been crying out for some american drivers for a very long time now and i think it's something that f1 as an entity would like more of so yeah it's interesting stuff nice uh next question from kilowog drivers team principals and commentators all mention the inability to overtake at zandvoort why are we racing somewhere that everyone openly describes and acknowledges as bad for racing is max truly justification for a dutch grand prix but vettel isn't for a german grand prix well vettel's about to retire so um schumacher is probably the reference you need there and i don't think yeah the so, German Grand Prix is a weird one. Like, <clears throat> well, there's been lots of German drivers that have come and gone, world champions, in fact, and they've never been able to get the same crowds as they did in the Schumacher era. Never even close. For some reason, they're like Vettel's dominant years when Rosberg was at Mercedes. They can never get 
the same levels there. Um, is Max justification for a Dutch Grand Prix? I mean, yeah. He's the the fact that we have a Dutch Grand Prix is kind of proof of that. Like yeah. it's been and a it's sellout. bad track, and and also it's like without sounding ridiculous, like this last weekend kind of proved that these new cars can overtake. For example, like yeah, like it was a I lot heard... less processional this year than it was last year. I think it was Ted I heard saying like, "Oh, is this kind of the race that proves that maybe the new rules aren't as good as we thought they were?" But I thought it was magnitudes better than the year before. You're still not getting as much overtaking as you get at a place like a Silverstone or a Bahrain or a Spa, but it was still cars could follow each other and pass. Like, yeah, I mean, we saw overtake an overtake for the lead. <laughs> Off yeah, the, off, admittedly off the back of a safety car, but still, like, it was a yeah, legit totally. overtake for the lead. So you didn't, you wouldn't have seen that last year. Um, no, even like, even with a mistake, like, that's a lot more difficult place to overtake than it would have been in these cars. So yeah, um, no, I don't, I, yeah, I'm not like, I'm not all about like the one driver show. Like, uh, definitely, like, there, there's an argument to say that this Grand Prix is in place because there is a Dutch driver. But at the end of the day, if you've got the drivers and you've got the crowds coming to the races and you've got decent racing, and this year we did have decent racing, then why not? You know, why not the Dutch Grand Prix? It looks like a blast to drive. It has, it, obviously, it's not gonna, you're not going to get the same level of overtaking as what you're going to do at other tracks because it's a very tight track. But in a world where we can have Monaco, in a world where we can have Hungary then I don't see how the Dutch Grand Prix is doesn't deserve a place on the calendar. I think it's yeah. absolutely... And, and as well, it's like a, a proper traditional racetrack. You've got gravel traps, you've got tight runoff areas, you've got sort of areas where it's possible to make mistakes and and end your race without sort of necessarily getting really badly hurt. So, yeah, I think I'm totally fine with the Dutch Grand Prix. I think it's a really, really good track. Yeah, and I would also And they put on take... a mega event. They put on a mega yeah. event as well. And I would take this circuit over another street track any day. Yeah, all day, every day. Yeah. Um, next one is um, from Sarah, and she says, Will Ferrari win another race this year? Interesting question. Interesting question, indeed. Um, Let's have a look at the calendar. Where can, where can Ferrari win a race? What have we got left? I feel like we sort of do a version of this quite often, but it's sort of fun to do. Monza, I think we both agree they're not going to win at. Singapore, I think there's a possibility for Ferrari there. Also Mercedes. Also Mercedes. And I think that's Ferrari's biggest problem now, is that they're yeah. not just trying to beat Red Bull, they're going to need to try and beat Mercedes as well now. Uh, Japan is going to be absolute Red Bull dominance. Kota, so? yeah. So it's quite like Spa, isn't it? Such a high-speed circuit. Um, circuit of the Americas could be... Could go in any which way. Mercedes, yeah, it's a hard one to read. Or um, Red Bull. Mexico's probably Red Bull. Probably. Might be a bit close there, but probably. Um, Sao Paulo. Red Maybe, Bull, if not Mercedes, I would yeah, say. Yeah, Red Bull or Mercedes. Abu Dhabi, probably Red Bull or Mercedes again. Yeah, it's More hard. It's, Red Bull. I think Singapore is probably their best chance now. For Ferrari. Yeah. Looking at that, yeah. but <laughs> it's kind of hard to see, isn't it? It is. Like, 
two, three, four, five, six races left. Oh, no, seven races left, including Italy. Of course, Italy. Um, there's potential for Ferrari to win at Italy. But... We've had some mad races at Monza in recent years, so there's always a possibility something bonkers will go on. Yeah. What's the weather doing? It's a good point. We normally check that before predictions, and we haven't. Um, while you're looking at the weather, I'll ask the final question this week, which is from Paper Camera. Uh, Albon and Magnussen have done well by being away from the sport for a year, both finding fairly comfortable drives. Is Danny Rick's best option to sit out for a year, or will this leave too much of a hole in the next season of Drive to Survive? Um, well, there was a there was a clip of Ricardo and Perez talking on the grid. It sounded a lot like Ricardo saying he was going to take a year out and come back in 2024. I'm not sure where he'd be able to come back to, to be honest. I think if Ricardo's yeah. not on the grid next year, he's probably not going to be on it again. Mm, well, I wouldn't go that far. I think it's not. It's a. It's a lot. It's been. It's become more common for. It has become more common for drivers to come back in recent years. I think Alonso, Raikkonen are good examples of that. And I think Ricardo could potentially fit into that category. Um, but I think it would take a lot at this point for, for the driver market to open up for him and for him to find himself in a new team next year. I think the way the way he does it, if he is coming back, it is probably not going to be like in one of the top teams I think that's the hard thing for him and, I, and then if, if you're not coming back to a top team then then if you're Ricardo, then what you you know what are you doing I, does, I, yeah does he want to come back to drive around at the back like yeah, I don't think so I, I think, think he'd rather be winning world endurance races or, mm-hmm. or maybe maybe he goes to I, I think he would absolutely smash it in IndyCar I think he'd be great in IndyCar I'd love to see that yeah. And he's a good fit as well because he's a real personality. Um, he could be a very, very, very successful yeah. IndyCar driver. Very think, much for, so. For a long time. But um, again, like it's maybe, you know, maybe I'm being disparaging for IndyCar. Like maybe IndyCar is a lot more competitive than I give it credit for. I don't know. We'll find yeah, out I mean, when Colton Herter joins next year. <laughs> I mean, uh, Grosjean went over to IndyCar and he's like had decentish success. Um, I would probably I don't know I, I, based on that I think Ricardo could at least go there and have some decent success he could definitely pick a podium with maybe some wins obviously depends what team he'd end up with but um, but yeah I, I could hmm. see that happening because um, yeah. I, I I think there's a potential space for him on the grid next year at Haas but I just don't know if that's what he would want to do is is driving around in the Haas for a year better than not driving around it at all that's kind of the decision he ultimately has to make isn't it yeah yeah um, uh, in terms of weather at Monza we're looking at oh, yeah. um, a bit of rain on Friday thunderstorms Wednesday Thursday so very green track on Friday with a bit of rain Saturday we're looking sunshine and cloud so and decent temperatures hotter on Saturday than Sunday interestedly so that could work into could play into Mercedes hands yeah not what Ferrari one though I don't think no and on that note I think that about wraps up this week 
so thanks as ever everyone for joining us listening to us thank you to all of our wonderful discord friends for joining us for the live uh, live recording if you want to get involved with that stuff you can go to patreon.com slash back the grid and all the details are there um back the grid.com is also where you can enter the predictions league and grid rival and all of that good stuff we will be back next week <laughs> in some format um me and Stu are on holiday and only land in the country again like Monday afternoon, I think. So please don't please it, don't burgle our houses. Yeah, I probably shouldn't say that. I know one knows where we live, it's fine. Um <laughs> so it might be Tom and someone else. It might be all of us a day late. It might be Tom and two very sleepy co hosts on Monday evening. Probably not that. We'll see. We'll figure it out. We'll let you know nearer the time but i think that's it for this week so yep. thanks again for listening and goodbye bye everyone <laughs>